Swimmer Michael Phelps has won more gold medals than any other Olympian in history. And if he were to decide to compete in another Olympic Games, admiring his past accomplishments wouldn't help him win more. His medals are just a symbol of his past success, but he knows the work it would take in order to compete at that level. And the danger with living life through the rearview mirror, always talking about what you used to be, what you used to do, is that you become complacent. And that was the issue that God had with the Church of Sardis. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. It's impossible to relive the past. And while it's important to remember what's happened before, God wants you to do some amazing things ahead of you. This week, Charles Tapp looks at what Jesus had to say about the Church of Sardis as he continues his series, Christ First, A Journey Through the Book of Revelation, with his message, Life Through the Rearview Mirror. One of the challenges with doing a series as long as this journey that we've been on as we've been going through the book of Revelation is that sometimes things that we have mentioned earlier in the series have somehow gone by the wayside of our memories. In many ways, it's like coming in the middle of a mini-series made for television and you've missed the first few episodes and, and you're not quite clear who the characters are, what they're doing, or why they're doing it, and you're scratching your head wondering what is really going on. So that's why repetition is a good thing. I love what Zig Ziglar, the famous author and motivational speaker, said about repetition. He says, repetition is the mother of learning, the father of action, which means it is the architect of accomplishments. If you really want to get to the meat of something, do it over and over and over again. And it's the same way with God's Word. In order to really get a full grasp of it, you need to go over and over and over again. And there are two points that I want to bring to our attention at the beginning of our message here, in case some of you may not have been here from the beginning. And if you were here from the beginning, maybe it's just faded away. The first is this, that, that these seven churches, because we've been dealing with the seven churches lately, these seven churches of Asia Minor in the first century were actually seven churches, not symbolic churches, but these were actual seven congregations. And they resided in the city of the same name. For instance, the church of Ephesus was in the city of Ephesus. The church of Smyrna was in the city of Smyrna, and so forth and so on. And although each of these churches were given tailor-made messages to deal with the conditions of their church and their particular situation, they were not sent separately to the church. What do I mean by that? Every church was able to read the messages from the other churches that were tailor-made for them. So all the churches were able to hear what was given to the church at Ephesus and all the others were able to hear one another's message. And why is that important? Because not only do these seven churches and these messages represent 
Christianity from the very beginning of time to our present age, they also represent you and me and the journeys that we go through in our Christian walk. Some of us may be going through the journey of Ephesus right now. You may have lost your first love with God and you need to return. Other of us, uh, of us may be like Laodicea. We may be going through a lukewarm experience with our walk with God where we, we're neither cold nor hot. So every church had an opportunity to read the other's message and that was pivotal for them. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter two and verse 23. Look at what it says. Talking to the church, the believers at Thyatira, John writes, I will kill her children with death. And look at this, and what? All the churches shall know that I am he who searches what? The minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to their works. What is John saying? Although this message was for Thyatira, it was for all the other churches as well, that they serve a God who knows the minds and the hearts, knows what we're thinking, knows how we're feeling, knows how we are doing life. So the execution of the judgment upon Thyatira wasn't just for them. It was for the church at Ephesus, it was for the believers at Smyrna, it was for the believers at Pergamum, and so forth and so on. And when it comes to this church at Thyatira, this was a church that was known for compromise. As a matter of fact, it is referred to as the compromising church. Now, all the seven churches compromised in one way or another, but this is the only church that didn't compromise as a result of having been pressured from without. The believers at Thyatira compromised because they had someone from within, a false prophetess by the name of Jezebel. Some believe that that was just the name that was given to her because she acted like the Jezebel in the Old Testament who wanted God's people to compromise and to worship false gods. But the pressure was coming from within. And here's the thing that we need to be aware of as children of God. We are so concerned about the pressure and the temptation that comes from without. There is even greater temptation many times that can come from within. You've heard the expression, one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch. If you've ever had a fruit bowl with apples in it, you know that if you've got one bad rotten apple, that's all it takes. And if it's left there long enough, it will spoil, contaminate, and pollute the rest of the apples. Parents know this to be true. Parents, how many times have we given our children, especially when they were small, taught them the ways of God, and then we sent them out into the world, sent them out to the schools, and before you knew it, the schools, the kids there undid just about everything we poured into them. They begin acting like the other bad apples. They begin talking like the other bad apples. And we ask ourselves the question, I didn't teach you that. Where did that come from? Because it only takes one bad apple to spoil the bunch. And the believers at Thyatira, they were being corrupted, not from the Roman government, not from the other forces, the guilds or the unions. They were being corrupted. They were following the God of Baal, the God of fertility, all because they had one 
bad apple in their midst. Listen to what I'm saying, young people. Be careful who you hang out with. I had a friend years ago, spent about 10 years in prison. He didn't break a single law. But do you know why he went to prison? Because he was in the car with another friend who said, I just have to go to the store. You just stay here and I'll be right back. His friend went into the store. The next thing he saw, his friend running out of the store, jumped into the car and took off. And he was trying to understand what was going on. The next thing he knew, he heard sirens and lights pull up behind him. His friend had gone in and robbed the store. And because he was in the car, he went to prison with his friend. Be careful who you make your friends. Well, pastor, you don't understand. You're old. You don't know what it's like to be young. First of all, I'm not old, amen? Let's just make that point clear. I'm not old. I am older. And there's a huge difference. And because I am older, I have gone the way you're trying to go. And listen to me. If you don't listen to your parents, listen to me. Stop hanging out with these bad apples. They won't contaminate you. Don't date these bad apples. All the parents should be saying amen right now. Don't date them. Don't go out with, well, I can change them. You can't change yourself. How are you going to change somebody else? But I love the message that Thyatira ends with. God tells his people through John's letter, even though there's one bad apple here, and even though they've contaminated a great deal of believers, there's always a remnant. There's always a group of people who have determined in their hearts to remain faithful to God and faithful to his word. Who says amen to that today? I love what Revelation 14, 12 says, and here are the patience of the saints, talking about the endurance of the saints. For here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. There will always be a remnant. The question is, are you and I part of that remnant? But now we continue our journey as we travel some 30 miles southeast of Thyatira as we pull into the city of Sardis. And I want us to look at this map. I've shown you this map a few times already. It's almost like a semicircle where it begins with Ephesus and it moves on to Smyrna and Sardis, Thyatira, Pergamum, and it comes back around down to Laodicea. And you see Patmos is out there. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum. So it goes from the south, it goes north, and it comes back down to the southeast. And that's where that letter, that book of Revelation traveled. Some 600 years before the book of Revelation was even written, Sardis had been one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. But by the time of the writing of the book of Revelation, Although it maintained much of its wealth and prosperity, it had lost a great deal of its prestige in the ancient world. But what really set Sardis, this city, and this church in particular, apart from all the other seven churches, is that there is no indication of any persecution that was going on at that time. 
and that is important because all the other cities and churches, they had this one thing in common, and that was persecution. They were being persecuted primarily for two reasons, if you remember. One, because of this thing called emperor worship. For in those days, in those cities, they would build statues to the emperor, and if you resided in that city, you had to bow and worship that emperor regardless of who he was. In other words, you had to claim that that was your Lord, that that was your God. The other thing was you had to eat meat that had been offered to idols. And if you refused to do either one of these things, you could you lose your status socially, economically, politically, and in many cases, especially in the city of Smyrna, you could even have your life taken. But in Sardis, these young Christians were not being persecuted by the Jews, and you know the Jews hated Christians. There was no persecution by these unions, these guilds that would have this annual feast where they celebrated their gods, and if you worked with them, you had to come and attend this feast and you, and you had to partake. You had to eat the meat offered to idols. You had to pay homage and bow to their gods. And if you did not do it, your life could be taken. But in Sardis, no persecution. There was no persecution from within and there was no persecution from without. And as I looked at this and I looked at what made this city, this church, distinct from the other six, here's the question that I have to ask myself, and that is this. What is the story then with Sardis? Surely Jesus would have some great words of, of commendation for this church. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and you know each letter is an evaluation Jesus' evaluation of their spiritual condition. Revelation chapter three, verses one and two. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has what? The seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are what? Dead, verse two. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Please don't miss this. Did you catch it? In each of these letters to the seven churches, God always begins with a word of commendation, a word of well-deserved praise, followed by a strong rebuke which was followed by a remedy of how they could turn the situation around. And each church, each letter would end with, with the final reminder that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Life Through the Rearview Mirror. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family. And uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life. And um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. We are- 
your support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people, like you want to listen to something, be encouraged when you're going through a tough time, starting at 91.9, um, they'll definitely uplift the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. We are and I am forever grateful for, for the WGS family because that's exactly what it is, family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is, which is amazing. Listener funded, WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And this week, Charles Tapp reminds you how important it is to not live your life in the past and to look ahead at what God has in store. As he continues his message, Life Through the Rearview Mirror. In each of these letters to the seven churches, God always begins with a word of commendation, a word of well-deserved praise, followed by a strong rebuke, which was followed by a remedy of how they could turn the situation around. And each church, each letter would end with, with the final reminder that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. But strangely, there is no commendation, there is no well-deserved praise for Sardis. It is painfully absent from this letter. Instead, what we find at the beginning of the letter, instead of commendation, there is a strong rebuke. For Jesus says to this church, you have a name that you are alive, but really, you are dead. In other words, Jesus is saying, you've got a reputation that you are alive, but the stark reality is you're dead. In other words, you have the appearance of life. Please don't miss this. But like Paul says in 2 Timothy that we read during our scripture reading, you've got a form of godliness but there is no power in your life. In the common vernacular, the believers at Sardis were perpetrating. Now, I don't know how you feel. Me being a pastor of a church, the last thing I want someone to say about my church is that it's a dead church, amen? How many of us have been to some dead churches? And we define a dead church in many ways. We'll say a church is dead if it, if it has no youth program, if it's got no ministries or programs that are alive. We say a dead, a church is a dead church if its worship is irrelevant, if it's not inspirational, if it lacks meaning and purpose. There are many ways we define a dead church. But here's the question I want to ask God's people today. Is our description of what makes a church dead Jesus' description of a dead church? Because when you look at Sardis, Sardis was a church that was active. Sardis was a church that had movement. But yet still, Jesus says, you have a reputation that there's life, but in reality, you are dead. And the key to this conundrum is found in verse two, I believe, where Jesus says to them, I know your works. You have 
a reputation. You have a name, but don't miss this. For here is really the accommodation that Jesus gives them. The only good thing he can say about them is that they have a good reputation. And even that, he says, even though you've got a good reputation, you can't even live up to your own reputation. In other words, much like the city of Sardis, the believers there had fallen by the wayside. In other words, they were living off of past glory. Sardis, like many of us, they were doing life through the rearview mirror. But my father taught me how to drive. He says, son, I'm gonna teach you a very valuable lesson. He says, I'm gonna teach you the importance of looking through the rearview mirror. I'm going, what? See, see, I just turned 16. I'm just thinking about going forward. What's in front of me? And yes, I did hit a few cars in my day. I don't think my father ever knew. He woke up one day and he said, oh, somebody hit my car. I'm going, yo, dad, yeah, that's a shame. That was me. But I discovered that there's a great deal of wisdom in using the rearview mirror in your car. Not just being concerned with what's in front of you, but looking at what's behind you. And my life has been saved on many of occasions because I was able to look through the rearview mirror and see someone bearing down on me and I was able to move to another lane. One time I could not move and the truck knocked me to kingdom come. But here's the thing about looking through the rearview mirror. If you only look through the rearview mirror, you will never get anywhere. And not only that, when you do arrive somewhere, you would have caused a great deal of havoc in the meantime. There are some people when they walk with God, all they're doing is looking through the rearview mirror, talking about what they used to do, talking about what they used to be. And you can tell when a person is doing life through the rearview mirror. Just ask them to give a testimony. Well, pastor, I just want to share with you, God, it's done a marvelous work in my life. 30 years ago, he did this for me. 30 years ago? That's the last time God did something for you? I want God to do something new in me. Most of us are only talking about what God did when we were in high school. That's the last time you had a victory? That's the last time you've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? You're living off of memories, a reputation. And Jesus tells the believers at Sardis, you can't even live up to the reputation. He says, you start things and you don't even finish them. You're just perpetrating. I saw a commercial that's always been one of my favorites where they said, reputation is what? Everything. It's not. Because reputation is what others say about you. Character is what God knows you to be. He tells this church who thinks they're doing okay because of what they used to do, how they used to be. Well, these were the golden years. Golden years are gone. And if God is not doing something in your life right now, you're looking at the past, you are going through life through the rear view mirror, living off of your reputation. And guess what? Your reputation is not even all of that. Sometimes I claim the fame. It's what we used to be. 
And the danger with living life through the rearview mirror, always talking about what you used to be, what you used to do, is that you become complacent. And that was the issue that God had with the church of Sardis. It wasn't that they were evil. It wasn't that they were giving in to compromise and pressure. They had become complacent. One of the dangers in our church today is our church has become complacent. We're talking about the fervor we used to have in the 1800s and the early 1900s. That's not going to do us any good for today. We need the power of God's Holy Spirit in the life of the church today. Who says amen to that? And please don't misunderstand me when I say this. It's not always about numbers. Numbers is not the best metric for spiritual growth. It's not how many people did Jesus baptize, Cal? Zero. How do we know? For the Bible says, and I'm quoting, and he baptized no one. But Jesus turned the world upside down. If Jesus were in our world today, in our culture, in our society, we would say, you're a failure. You haven't baptized anybody. We can't ordain you. Listen, the church may be busy. The church may be active, and Sardis was all of that. But here's the problem. Their busyness, their activity, was not a result of the work of the Spirit. It's a result of their own effort and work. And that's the problem Jesus had with them. It is the same issue he takes with us today. You can have all kinds of good work, but if your good work is not a result not a fruit of the Spirit of God. It's just sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. As Paul says, you're just making a whole lot of noise, but in actuality, you are saying nothing. So what Jesus calls a dead church is a church that does not have the power of the Holy Spirit in its midst. That's a dead church. And this is why in John's letter to Sardis, Instead of beginning the letter with a word of commendation, a word of well-deserved praise, Jesus begins with these words. He says, verse 1, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And if you've been with us, you know that the seven stars represent the seven churches, leaders of those seven churches. But when it comes to the seven spirits, and this is where a lot of Christians become confused. It is not talking about seven literal spirits, but the number seven, especially in the book of Revelation, is symbolic. It represents the fullness of God. Please don't miss this. So when, when Jesus says through John's letter that you have the seven spirits, in essence, he's saying you have access to the full power of the Holy Spirit. But yet, because you're not open to the Spirit, you are dead. But look at the rest of this letter to the believers of Sardis in Revelation chapter 3. He says, remember, therefore, how you received and heard, hold fast and do what? Repent. Therefore, if you will not what? Watch. Be aware. They were aware, but they were aware of what was behind them, not what was in front of them. I will come upon you like a what? Thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Verse 4. You have a few names, even in Sardis, praise God, who have not defiled their garments. In other words, there is still a remnant, and there's always a remnant. 
people who have the faith of Jesus, who want to keep the commandments of God, there's always a remnant. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are what? Worthy. And what makes them worthy? Not their works, but the work of the Spirit of God in their lives. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before angels. Verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And that is the reminder to God's people today. Have we heard what the Spirit of God is saying? Stop trying to do life by looking at what's behind you. Look at life in front of you and what God has planned for you because God wants to do a work. Do you always have to refer back to something that was done 20 years ago? Or do you have a present reality, a present relationship, a present experience, a present faith in God right now because the Spirit of God is working in and through your life? You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Life Through the Rearview Mirror. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. Many of us would not be where we are today if God had not opened those doors. It had nothing to do with your intelligence. It had nothing to do with your skill set. It had everything to do with God opening the door for you. Next week, we hope you can listen in again as Charles Tapp continues with part nine of this series, Christ First, a journey through the book of Revelation with his message, The Promise. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.